the wallet. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome. Welcome to the glory hall in the Berlin Wall. Welcome Once to the again. glory hall, yeah. Yeah, the glory hall yeah. is there. <laughs> Dude, but if you picture it in your mind, actually, a guy from the East Germany and a guy from uh, from West Germany kind of coming together like that. Literally coming together. Or, I mean, maybe one of them comes and the other one is just mm. feels like, you know, fulfilled emotionally. <laughs> like he did something and, nice. To and him. mouthfully. To his, to his friend <laughs> over the border. Yeah, I mean, like the question with that is who made the wall, who made the who made the wall? No, of course that's a, a pretty much uh, answered question. Yeah, who have, made the hole and and who who puts it through? Yeah, from. that's the that's the, what, what what's your theory? Who do you think is the? Hmm, it's a good idea. A good question. Um, probably i think probably think it would like just from pure historical facts it would be west berliner berliners that have like had to put the the hole in it because east berliners were not allowed as close to the wall so they can actually screw they would have to make the hole but who do you think is uh pleasuring who first what do you think Oh, I, I see like a GDR border guard putting his dick through it and then like seeing just what happens out of mere curiosity. Ah, it's <laughs> it, could, it would it, w- it would hardly be any any East, yeah. East German civilians because as I just said, they would have probably been shot. What, wasn't his song? Give me, give me some uh, capitalist pleasure. <laughs> yeah, wasn't the song called Looking for Freedom? Sure, it was a David Hasselhoff. Yeah, so you put Smash your penis it. into the hole. Uh, into the hole. And he was probably looking he for the freedom on the other side. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or rather, release than freedom, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Looking for release. So yeah, I think we should slowly but surely come to Germany. Come, come to come back to Germany. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to the time machine. So yeah, um, today we are talking about actually a lot, lot of things. Um, we're talking about the German Democratic Republic, the former East German state that doesn't exist anymore. The good Germany. Well, that's what you say. Um, we're going to talk about punk rock. We're going to talk about um, the underground, whatever that means and how it can be defined. And we're going to talk about, yeah, in the end, some of our listeners might might be uh, tr- tricked into listening to this episode because we put it in the title. We're going to talk about Rammstein briefly <laughs> at some moments of this episode. So all the, shout out to all the Rammstein fans there. <laughs> Um, well, we can start with that. Actually, I'm not a fan of Rammstein. I'm not doing this episode because I'm a fan of Rammstein and want to talk about them. I think they are an interesting part of whatever the modern German music scene is. Um, but most of all, they are kind of our musical ambassadors in the world. That's yeah. that's what you could say. Like, I mean, would you come up with any other contemporary German band that is well known in Kraft all of the Kraft. world? Gladly, they're the ambassadors after like Scorpions was the ambassador. Okay, okay. There's yeah. there's some others. You write about <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> He thought he would catch us, huh? <laughs> no, no, I didn't get you there. But yeah, let's uh, let's say that way. I think the Scorpions are still around. Uh, Scorpions but, are still around. But they're not very successful internationally. They just have these like old people concerts that they give to them in I don't know yeah. countryside Germany to make some dollars. Some and um, well, probably they're fucking rich from all the sales. But to make some Deutsche Mark. <laughs> Deutsche Mark. And like Kraftwerk, I mean like <laughs> they they <laughs> Scorpion takes Deutsche Mark tips <laughs> <laughs> only. <laughs> and Kraftwerk, they're also still around, but very surprisingly, I think they just re- reformed after like I don't know, like I don't know, twenty year hiatus oh, really? or something. Uh, yeah, they, they toured a couple of years ago, but like yeah. they just give these concerts here and there. They really don't need any money yeah, anymore. Yeah, I wonder I what type of music even Kraftwerk is playing because Kraftwerk sounded futuristic, and now we are in the future. And what would they even play? You know. 
I mean, they play their old stuff. Hence, oh, they, right. hence, hence they sound, <laughs> hence they sound even a bit atavistic, ironically. You know? yeah, yeah, very much. <laughs> but yeah, Rammstein. I don't know. They why why are they successful? I will say it bluntly. I think because, especially in the U.S., but all over the globe, also they transport us. Germans are actually evil fascists down there, and yeah. they make the music that like fits this kind of yeah, big time believe this feeling. This Whenever emotion. I hear Rammstein, I'm like, yes, that's Germany. That's what I'm thinking about. You know, whenever I hear exactly. Rammstein. And also the industrial like music, yeah, tone, yeah, yeah, very repetitive, yeah. very droney it music. It sounds like a BMW, you know. Yeah, well, actually, like a like a ill-maintained BMW. It sounds like a very I old. BMW. Say that as a BMW, BMW <laughs> driver. It sounds like a very old BMW that was driven by a Russian person. Exactly. <laughs> also, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're also kind of popular in Russia. Yeah, Russians like uh, I mean, for Russia, Rammstein. Uh, first of all, yeah, German ambassadors number one for sure. Whatever Germany does, Rammstein Russians will never like. We'll never bl blame Rammstein. Russians will still be tight with Rammstein. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, but yeah, they're probably, I think he's also, and gossip hour, I think he has like a kid with some uh, Russian pop star, actually, Lindner. Oh, really? Lindemann is his name. Lindner. I thought it was... Lindner is our <laughs> minister of finance. Yeah, I thought about the other guy. They're not related? <laughs> they're not related, no. Actually, Lindner... <laughs> Neo is, 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 is a somewhat is, neoliberal is the finance minister. version of Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> well, that, that's what you said. No? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get sued by <laughs> our minister like, of finance no, for no, this Lindner, podcast. Look, look, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Lindner is German version of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you misspoke. You have heard it all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But like, what's curious about it, I think, and about the success and about this um, yeah, epitome of Germanness, they, Rammstein, um, um, yeah, well, symbolize in the world. Is that their roots come from something different? I would say at, le at least different, not 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 so different in the way of that they all were actually lawyers ten years ago. So of course they exist for longer, but like that would be crazy. <laughs> but like they come from the GDR underground punk rock movement, and I'm going to talk about this today. I'm not going to talk about the band. I'm not going to talk about the members so much, but I'm going to talk about a guy that was never a part of Rammstein and actually kind of disliked their music a bit. I think, but he spawned the band. In the GDR, that was actually the seedbed of Rammstein. Or you can say Rammstein compri is comprised of two parts. One is uh, the people from Berlin, East Berlin especially, Prenzlauer Berg area. We're going to talk about Berlin in some detail today, so all the Berlin listeners can listen up and get some addresses and can take a tour. street is mentioned, you can take a shot of Berliner Luft. And uh, the other part of Rammstein comes from Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, which is like the northernmost and east northernmost state of of uh, Germany, which is rather rural. And for example, Lindemann, he's the is the guy that Elia uh, already mentioned. Um, sorry. Um, Lindemann is from from Mecklenburg, and like he was described by one of the other members of um, later on uh, Rammstein when they met him the first time. He was described as like one of these these uh, uh, peasant people that barely talk a word in an hour. You know, <laughs> when he met him the first time, so um, they they were very different in a way. They all were like punks or underground people or whatever you want to call it, but like from different kind of cultures. The one from the vibrant as vibrant as it gets in East Germany, East Berlin uh, culture music scene, and the other ones were other people playing in barns before. Mm. Um, playing in barns. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna talk about the, the the Berlin people more. And the guy I was just teasing already, who kind of in an inadvertently uh, spawned 
uh, Rammstein in the end. His name is Alyosha Rompe. Oh, wow. And here we come up with, like, you kind of noticed it already, why is his fucking name Alyosha, which is a Russian name, I think. Like, yeah, what is it's, it? not, it's also, like, uh, it's weird because there is, uh, okay, so I'll try to explain this. There is, like, Russian names. Like, I have, my name's Ilya. Mm. That's a bad example because Ilya is Ilya in the documents and mm-hmm. Ilya is Ilya, everyone will call it. There's mm. no shorter version of yeah. it. But, like, Alyosha is a way to call Alexei, you know? Mm. Okay. But on the documents anywhere, that's the official name would be... Alexei, you know? Yeah. But in Germany, you see people with, like, in East Germany, you see people with Russian shortened names. Yeah, with, like, nicknames, with basically. Names, basically. I see. That's yeah. It. So that, that's interesting because when you say Alyosha is for Alexei, his actual name, this guy's Rompe's name is Arthur Alexander Rompe. So there's no Alexei in it, yeah, but it's Alexander. Alexander. Al- Alexander would actually be Sasha, right? Would be Sa- wow. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> So, 15 points to Gryffindor, dude. So, so, they, so, they, so they actually <laughs> fucked up nicknaming him in a Russian yeah, way. Okay. <laughs> gave him another name's nickname. <laughs> so, to make it even weirder, I mean, like, the, the guy is... I mean, first I have to say that the guy is dead already. He died in the year th- 2000, so he saw the end of the GDR, but l- not really, like, the Germany we all live in now. Um, he was born in 1947, so he only, uh, he only got uh, f- uh, 53 years to live. Died also a bit tragically. We'll talk about this. Also, his, his whole life is a bit tragic in a way. But uh, yeah, and to, to make it even weirder for, on having or adding to having a, a Russian wrong nickname, um, he was actually not only German, but he was Swiss too. Oh. He, he was actually more Swiss than German in the end because both his parents were Swiss and they moved in the late 40s, early 50s. They moved voluntarily to, to East Germany. What's up with these guys? And you will, if you actually look into the biographies of some German people, you'll find out like uh, that they weren't at all East German from the beginning, but like then grew up in East Germany. Most famous example would be Angela Merkel. She's been born in Hamburg oh. and then grew up later on in, the, in East Germany because this was the time of the foundation of the GDR and a lot of people from leftists from other parts They're of, like, of, of Europe said, or especially German-speaking countries said, like, yeah, let's go there and form the new society. I don't know that for sure about about uh, Rompe's parents, but like they also went there for for business reasons, I guess. Um, but yeah, they really emigrated to East Berlin from Switzerland. Um, his parents then separated, and he grew up with his mother only, and uh, who who married an East German physicist, and his name was Rompe, and like he became his stepfather and kind of his real father, I guess. And so in the end, uh, he, he he took over the name Rompe, and this guy, coming back to the nickname, had a had a Russian mother, this East German guy, and she was what the one giving uh, little. Arthur Alexander, the name Alyosha. Oh. So, but from there on, for his le- the rest of his life, his name was Alyosha. And yeah, well, his, his family were actually, uh, in, later on at least, if they, if they weren't from the beginning, they become uh, party members and actually also like uh, kind of administrative higher administrative level higher up uh, party members that uh, and his father or his stepfather was a physicist so they were like in the we talked about it in the dugan episode a little who are these people in socialist societies they were kind of upper middle class in the way of being aligned with the party and so on so mm-hmm. his parents weren't dissidents but per se being swiss though mm-hmm. um 
And yeah, in his childhood days, he even he lived in like uh, an area where people like this would live, like southeast Berlin, like Köpenick area. And one of his playmates, uh, it's said, was actually Gregor Gysi, the long-term leader of the German leftist party in even the latter latter decades of of our present. You know, he was like playing in the playground he, with him. He was something? playing in the playground with him. So Gregor Gregor Gysi's uh, uh, father also was an as a party functionary, of course. Wow. So yeah. Um, but it turned out turned out uh, later that this Rumpel guy is, although he could have kind of lived like a life along the lines of what the socialist society expected from you, and he went to the army in the seventies when he was old enough and so on. So he, he in the first third or half of his life you could say he lived along and so on. But he was kind of bored and and also um, dissatisfied with what the life of the the kind of the prescribed life of a regular GDR citizen would have been, so um, sooner or later he 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 skipped kind of he started uh, uh, studying physics and went to the army and so on and um, but sooner or later he came to a point in his life he basically said fuck it I don't want to live this life I'm more interested in arts and music and want to go down this hole or whatever <laughs> like seen from the state functionaries of the gdr that would probably something like a hole um and then uh, he went to to the baltic sea to an island called hiddensee yeah. which plays a big part in, in this story because it was something like an exile for at least for the summer seasons it was an exile for people from all of east germany who were a bit like yeah um, alternative you could say because uh, there was literally only one cop on the island and and uh, also some there were border guards there because of course people could technically flee but as long as you did not try to escape to denmark they they would leave you alone they were conscripts themselves and uh, one official policeman and an unknown number of, of unofficial secret police officers, I guess. But all in all, it was an environment where even the the, the GDR state leaders said, like, yeah, I don't know, let them have their have them have their summer vacation there. They're not doing harm to anybody because what they were doing there were mostly having like concerts on the beach, concerts in the woods, and yeah. drinking excessively. There's even a story by um, by a later band member of of Rompe who said like the the border patrol soldiers would just come to them and like drink with them on the beach and ignore that they were fucking having a huge fire there although it was illegal because they were also so bored and as long as they didn't flee there was no problem for them you know so yeah um and um so more and more actually only when he was in his mid to late 20s this guy like delved into into the berlin east berlin underground music scene and i think at this point i gotta say something about um music especially like culture and especially music in east germany i mean like how would you imagine something like this going down i mean like basically now we can form a band if we want and like play music that's yeah. it but in a socialist society stuff like this is usually run different i mean like at least yeah. in, the, in the real existing socialist societies yeah, yeah. you so, need to apply for a band visa then you get it approved by three committees then one of your guys each one of you gets interviewed separately then you have to go up into the committee on committees and you have to ask them then your band has to form a committee i mean <laughs> it's uh, like you have to go to some sort of uh, something that for the state that supports 
Yeah, basically. Music. Yeah. And then meet people and try to play. Like Iran, Iran has basically the same system now that like Soviet Union used to have. You have to like apply for like a thing. You you, you need to have you get like a little thing saying this band is cool to play there and there. They need, they'll listen to all your songs or whatever. You'll need to write up a thing saying what the song is about. Explain what's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, but this is a nice way to get away uh, to get around. Um, uh, censorship sometimes because they do ask you like what's it about and so if you can somehow build it up and say like the, it's not a literal meaning it's like metaphorical and when i say we want to kill the great leader what i mean is like the great leader within us you know like we can all become like one thing exactly from doing my research i i learned about a practice that like they in the gr did and also probably happens happened oh, yeah. in the soviet union and all in every like uh, kind of dictatorship or censored society around around the globe still it's i think it's called blue jaying or something if i'm if i'm not wrong which means uh, something like you you write a text or lyrics to a song mm, purposefully with passages in it that you know they're gonna be censored they're gonna be ah, censored yeah. but yeah, like, what you actually want to say is in the other parts and yeah. you can kind of funnel it into yeah. south park does that used to do that a lot to go around uh, the censorship on like whatever comedy yeah, yeah. central they would put like something they knew would be taken away so the other shit they they actually wanted to keep just no one would pay attention to that they'd be like you saying we should rape jesus no we can't put that on tv but then you get to say 15 fucks yeah uh, shit like that so yeah, basically what Ilya said in the beginning about forming a band in the GDR is basically this: it's you gotta go, gotta apply months in advance to be to play in front of a committee, and then you'll get a, a three rate uh, or three three stage rating, which means like a. Because it's a communist committee. Exactly, yeah, and and one is like basically you're you're uh, playing music that forwards the socialist cause, full approval, and, and the, you gotta gotta imagine, like, it's it's not this super neoliberal, crazy uh, um, music industry we have today, you know? It's basically the state is your publisher, the state is your is yeah. your is, is your label or whatever, yeah. you know? So there's one label in the GDR that, that actually prints vinyls, mm -hmm. and um, there's only state-run, or kind of state-run, at least state-funded recording studios and everything. So all this has to be allotted to you, basically, via the state. And so this concession, this like uh, approval, is very important to even do something apart from playing illegally in the woods. So a lot of these bands on Hiddensee, on, on, on other uh, uh, Baltic Sea islands, or or at the at, and these like safe spaces, these spots where you could do as you want, they didn't have like a concession they didn't have a contract they could only literally play there that's also why they went there um so yeah um rompe um after coming in touch with these bands he was not person personally he was not a very musical guy so just to to uh, assure assure you of that fact i'm gonna read a little quote from uh the drummer of his later band, feeling bay it's called i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, tease this already and um What's it called again? Feeling B. 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 Yeah, Feeling B. Rompe founded the band as wanted to found it as like Feeling Berlin, ah. but um, then they found out there's like a I don't know legal el elder people fully legal doing kind of boring music band calling Feeling called Feeling Berlin already mm -hmm. and like so is that like no <laughs> fuck it we're gonna call ourselves Feeling B then. And uh, the the drummer of this band later talked about Alyosha's musicality this way. We had our own term for the musical dispersal among ourselves, Alyoshin. 
<laughs> which is like a verbalized form of, of his name. We still use that today because the guy is also the drummer of, of Rammstein to this day. We still use that today. We still sometimes say to Till Lindemann when he's not singing rhythm. He started at the wrong places and sang a whole verse stubbornly long, wrong with feeling B. It was easy for us at some point. We all looked at each other and changed to the right beat because <laughs> the guy literally <laughs> could not sing. <laughs> he, he, he can't fall as a singer. He, can, he was also only the singer. He was not playing an instrument that would have been too much for him i think <laughs> he was just a singer and he fucked up at this i like that. um Amazing, the man. main protest and yeah so he he was smart enough though to to procure for his band project to procure some some uh, um more talented musicians i think <laughs> and so he found uh, in, in in one of the concerts or whatever in a, in a at a party i guess he he met these guys called um Paul Landers and Christian Lorenz. And these two guys are actually members of Rammstein to this day. Traders. Um, Paul Landers is a guitarist and uh, Christian Lorenz, who is better known as Flake, is his nickname. That's a real complete nickname. It means nothing really. Um, he's the keyboarder. He's this awkward, thin guy, you know, with the glasses. You've seen him. Like he's, he's, I think personally he's the most interesting member of all of these uh, uh, bands. Because they were musical, they were like they had a talent for music, yeah. and um, so they formed the band called Feeling B. They had in the beginning they had uh, with Kreininger's his last name. Uh, they had like a, a drummer, but who left the band for another band, and then from then they had only guest drummers for periods. So the core is this Alyosha Rompe guy, Paul Landers on guitar, and Christian Lawrence on keyboards. So you will say now, hmm, okay, we have a guest drummer. We don't have a bassist. Yeah, we don't have a real bass player because Flake, Lorenz, Christian Lorenz, this guy is also not just playing the keyboard, but also playing um, bass, which means that he describes with the bass lines were so easy that he just played them with one hand and he didn't have to basically <laughs> use the other hand. And then he played keyboard with the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then he basically basically played the keyboard with the other hand. So yeah, that, that also gives you a feeling of haha, feeling bass music already. It's punk rock in the way of simplicity but it also has like these weird keyboard parts that go like basically like this you know and and a very simple bass line also the guitar lines and and the singing is a bit off sometimes so it's very it's very chaotic it's i think in a way it's punk as it's purest because yeah. it's it's it, the band formed in 1983 so they're, they're definitely part of the international second wave of punk rock where in california like hardcore punk was was in the making and like really straight away from the original simplicity and stupidity even sometimes of punk rock but these guys they pretty much nailed it they added some new electronic qualities to it but it was like generally pure punk rock as did pure as it can be they did not record something for a long long time um the thing is coming back a bit to alyosha rompe's um li life now and his musical talents we discussed <laughs> enough already but about his biography so um he did not know for most of his life or like that's not right but like for half of his life i should say that he actually was swiss so as he basically was uh, uh, just uh, um, born in, in the GDR, he technically and never his parents. And I mean, like the thing is, his parents went to East Berlin before the GDR was formed. So he was not necessarily born in the GDR, but like lived there when the GDR came into being. But still, due to administrative technicalities, his parents would have at that point had to apply for him to become a GDR citizen. So he always grew up in the GDR being a Swiss 
but without knowing it because his parents they were they were communists and they did not really tell him because they probably didn't want him to leave and when he was like uh, 33 I think it was yeah it was around the year 1980 when he was 33 he realized that he's actually Swiss and he could have left the country all along and the, the first thing he did is like apply for a, for a Swiss passport and basically was a Swiss from that point on uh, but decided he, to live in East Germany for because he, he traveled for almost two years after he got his Swiss passport and then came back to GDR and said basically yeah, I mean like, this is my shit I'm, I grew up here I'm, I'm, I, I don't like this society necessarily but I hate the capitalism on the other side even more and <laughs> I and thought he like straight away he woke up the next day and was like, fuck this fucking, fucking, fucking punk rock bullshit. I'm going to be a banker. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that's the thing, like pretty much the opposite. Um, and so, yeah, um, they, this band Feeling B kind of became somewhat successful rather in the underground scene, though, because coming back to the whole application for concession process, um, what they... What they, uh, surprisingly for themselves, because also they were smart, I guess, smarter maybe than other bands, or at least less stubborn on their on their art, um, they managed to get like a second degree concession, which means like the the, the first bands, as I, the first degree concession would mean like you can you can play wherever you want, you can record wherever you want, and like especially like the, the of course the the the. The, dist the distributed resources of the state, yeah. but there were no like limitations in op opposite to other bands that had to apply uh, uh, obliged to some some uh, limitations, and um, that that was uh, the second degree was something like um, you had to prove that you basically um, made a living from another job, and then you can still do in your part in your free time you can do recordings if you get a place in a studio or you can travel around and stuff like oh, this so less, like, the second degree is the second degree is less yeah it's less like it's, I, it was like from premium to silver to bronze state basically mm -hmm. if you and bronze state basically means uh, the state does not like kind of hunt you down when you play concerts but you not get any support it's like totally on you to 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 yeah, think, yeah. See, see through that um, so I mean, like in the way, only the first degree people could have in the GDR be something like professional musicians, um, because they were kind of paid then by the state to be musicians, whereas the others had to actually prove. For most of their lives, the members of of, of Feeling Bay had to actually work as as a stoker in like a in in a, in a factory building or something, or like an electrician or something. Although. As they said, they necessarily not of the time, most of the time, not really worked in these in these uh, uh, jobs or so. But they found people who actually just like signed a paper that they could hand in, and then they would get uh, they would get the, the concession basically. That's exactly. I mean, like in the end, these people were punks. They were poor. They lived in a socialist yeah. society, and that's actually also what what uh, I think it was Lorenz, maybe also Romper said. Like, um, having after having seen the West, they said like you could actually have a better life in socialist East Germany as a punk because like you you would get money for food and and yeah, and booze. They, they would they would take care for the minimum. You would not necessarily have a, like a much better life, but you would not have to work or worry about money yeah. and on the basic level that a punk needs. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, 
yeah and uh, so when uh, coming back to your question if they ever recorded or if they, how many uh, records they put out they actually put out three records in their lifetime it existed from this band feeling bay existed from 1983 uh, to 19 about 1993 1994 oh, so, so really about 10 years yeah they, the band kind of technically survived the end of the GDR2 um, but the two records they released were in I think 1991 and 1993 the first record was released in 1988 if I'm not wrong but this was a big I'm, a lot of people back then in the GDR alternative music scene saw this as a big turning point because a band like them who were just like Yeah, they could be described as fun punks or whatever, that they got a state concession to play. They got that before, but later on they even got money from the state to record their first album, which has the name of Hua He, Hua He, Hua He or something. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's oh, no. it's 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 not a it's not a socialist album in the sense of like that it has no political message or so. Oh. So if you if you if you take into consideration that in 1965, so about 20 years earlier, there was like a big Uh, crackdown on on any kind of independent culture or making arts in the GDR. That was the height of the Cold War, and they really wanted to basically um, have full control. Then, 20, 20 years later, GDR, the GDR society has developed out of very different reasons or or some, uh, various reasons that we can't all discuss. Um, to the point where they actually financed a, a punk rock album. So. Yeah, I mean, like, here you see the, the, the GDR, just as a general take, I think the GDR society is often seen as very, or like history, society's history is often seen as very monolithic, although it, of course, went through phases itself. So actually, just before its downfall, the GDR was in a lot of ways the most liberal, although it was had like dictatorial structures, of course, still secret police and what's on, but like when it comes to culture and like the total control of private sphere of people... They tried to open it up, like following following uh, the Soviet Union in, a, in in some ways, I guess. Um, Dude, that's wild! Like the pinnacle of society is when a government sponsors a punk rock album. <laughs> yeah, I think you know what? Because it's like now the punk rock album is like sponsored by a corporation or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ultimately, like it seems like every experiment we've ever done. Like something went wrong, where this huge thing starts sponsoring its own protest, basically. It, it, it sounds crazy. Uh, I mean, like, but like looking at it, like maybe it's more punk to be funded by a socialist state than to work for a capitalist yeah. record company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for I'm um, talking about like a little side note, top, which I really, uh, I'm sure you will enjoy is like, uh, because coming back to Berlin places here, what Rompe did also is just go over to, to West Berlin, of course, and buy instruments there. Because like you can say about East German industry what you want, but like when it came to certain aspects, they were not bad at building like machines, industrial machines, even cars. I mean, like they were not really good, but they were, they were driving at least. Um, but when it came to stuff like musical instruments, that was not their, their, their strong side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they sooner or later found out that like a, a it's hard to get one if an old one bra breaks uh, and the other one is like yeah they're obviously less good than the instruments you can buy from the west. So what Rompe also did is go to West Germany and buy a lot of instruments for for his band. And how he financed himself is because like with the salary he would would get as like the, the occasional worker here and there and the in the GDR would not be enough to pay for instruments of western origin. What he did though is like as a Swiss 
he went to West Berlin and enrolled at the Free University. <laughs> and in uh. I, and I like I like this. This is so. This could actually happen today in a way. As a student of theater studies, and he he actually got a scholarship from Switzerland for it to basically to, to study in West Freie Freie Universität in, in in West Berlin. And like what he did is just take the money. He never really went to university. I think it like came out after a while, but like for a couple of years he went with it and then went back to the east and exchanged it into east marks which like was way more of course when he when he came there with western money and then he basically financed everything that he needed apart from from buying instruments he with her. Yeah. he was a hustler that's the thing like he was not a musician per se no, no, no. that we, we we got that he was not a musician but he was a networker like i mean he's a band manager he should have been a manager you know in a way producer. yeah he should have been a producer exactly exactly that, that was a strong side and that that's actually what Uh, the East, late East uh, German alternative music scene has to thank him for in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he, he was a creative networker. What they also did is like, I just like this, these like anecdotes. What they, he also did is like uh, uh, buy silver, silver plated copper uh, strings basically, or like, like just rods uh, and bring them to East Germany. And then the, the band members made earrings or other jewelry out of it because like this custom jewelry, not like real silver or gold jewelry, but like just this like fancy looking costume jewelry was like almost unavailable in east germany because there was just no industry for it and so they just sold it on on kind of the black market which was tolerated to to make a better living out of it so they they were punks in a lot of ways obviously very industrious very industrious punks exactly um can we have a little short break here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah um come back to feeling base exploits um I just got some interesting quotes for you um, about from from contemporaries of how they sounded, what they made, and how how curious it was that they actually got this special classification. Um, but before that, I'm just gonna explain to you a little how they they lived their everyday life. They mostly lived in squats near you know, areas of where now Seenefelder Platzes, so southern Prenzlauer Berg. And yeah, there was something like squats. I mean, like and back in the GDR, it was not officially squats, of course, but they were they were houses where um, creative people gathered. You know, everybody in the in in, in the socialist society has a kind of right to housing. So, but they managed for, to to these people in these in this creative scene managed to kind of all live in the same building, and so it became something of a squat, like kind of an unofficial cultural center or something you could say. And. Mm, Yeah, so uh, a guy who, who wrote a book about it said, like, this band in which hardly anyone mastered his instrument and whose main demand was mix me a drink was given a classification as a special, special stage band. It's like the, the real name kind of translation. And thus it could, be, it, it could demand good fees and mileage from the organizers. The recordings in the Amiga studio, the state-run recordings, um, degenerated into wild barbecue parties. Hundreds of guests flocked to the courtyard in Brunnenstraße. Feeling B with the roar of uh, Rompes, uh, uh, Rompes voice, boarding guitars and quacky Casio racket managed to be the only GDR band to record on to record a punk record with a real garage sound. Dude, and <laughs> it does kind of sound like they've been just gaming the system. Like, he was mad, the, this writer. Like, <laughs> just like, how can he... <laughs> Fucking fucker, I have to work 15 hours at the factory. <laughs> and when they were not... They can't play. <laughs> they can't even play music. I, yeah, I like it. They're like literally like 
they probably came up with an album in the like last two hours before recording like, yeah, we yeah. have to show something to the yes, government yeah, officials yeah. actually <laughs> actually christian lorenz the keyboarder said like they barely ever finished a concert because they usually were so drunk during the concert at some point <laughs> that it basically just the the, the 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 concert developed into a party basically because the band wasn't able to play anymore at some <laughs> yeah, point just take the guitar <laughs> you, you do it you're better anyway i mean like i i doubt that their sound was really much worse when they were super drunk but maybe that was the reason to oh, and right. so the, so these guys were usually they they got a truck they got a, a robo lo is the name i think it's an east german fabricate maybe it's russian too but like a, a robo lo uh, <laughs> it's like a, it, it's it, it, some some sources say it was actually an, an arm an arm truck not in the say of armor truck i mean i mean armor truck not not armed with a weapon but like it had some military origin and like it broke down all the time but they they lived in it Uh, later on, the the members that then transferred to Rammstein even allegedly came up with the name Rammstein in this truck, um, probably while they were lying in bed there or something. After uh, having sex with one another, maybe having <laughs> sex with somebody. I don't know. <laughs> and and so yeah, they traveled the country, played at uh, at at venues. Like they were not really rock festivals, but like what what was there was something like literally they would go to to a, a boarding house an inn or something somewhere in the countryside and that had like a had like a stage or like a like a hall where you could play in and then people from around the area because usually there was nothing happening gathered there and like listen to their concerts it's it's i i'm kind of curious also because like for me it sounds a lot like people in the gdr via this system came into contact with punk rock bands that they would never usually probably have listened to if they would have to buy their music on a capitalist market they were basically just fed this and so So yeah, they they drove around and um, um, and then they actually got this uh, record deal and it became something of like a uh, yeah like a showpiece or something you could say for the GDR alternative music scene that the state was slowly endorsing and saying like yeah we also have this and we're not like this these old squares that we you have see us yeah, have have yeah so like a studio technician said this about them. Until then, only four-hour sessions in the studio were ever possible. So three different productions a day. First there was a rock band, then a pop singer, and in the evening a singer-songwriter. Since, since it was clear to me that with this production method, with feeling bay, nothing was to be, to be gotten in the row, I talked my mouth off and convinced the superiors of my company to make the studio totally available to the band. <laughs> By the way, this caused a lot of trouble afterwards, because an article in the youth magazine, Neues Leben, mocked this waste of capacity because the good bands didn't get such privileges. <sighs> Such fucking so, pussies in this. So yeah, um, imagine if you're a band wanting state fund and then they fund this like, shitty. The guys who get drunk for the state money. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, dude. If like they won, they won. There's nothing you're gonna be able to say to stop them by this point. And and uh, I say all this without wanting to literally take credibility away from them. They were living the punk lifestyle. They were also, and that's the the weird middle position they the feeling B took was that they were not anti-communist. They were not anti-state per se. They were against the squares running the state and the squares yeah. in the families and in the jobs and they everything. They were in a perfect position. This is a perfect protest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, like it's an acceptable uh, yeah, of criticism course. to that. Like, like, If you ask them, they're like, we love communism. What the hell are you talking about? I mean, I'm not sure if they would have said it that way, but like, yeah. <laughs> um, on the other hand, 
Um, I mean, like we hear when you talk about the GDR, we hear a lot about state repression and 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 how people are spied on and everything. And so, in the end, members of the band also like went to Joint the Stasi. Let me <laughs> went to the archives later on oh, okay. in the '90s to see what actually happened around them. And um, so, um, it, it seems like musicians had been active members of the Stasi. Like the the in May 2018, Flake, the, the the former keyboarder, said, according to his file, members of Feeling B had been active members of the Stasi. So Stasi just claimed them as their members. Uh, that's what, that's what the thing. Like he doesn't he doesn't disclose names probably because he doesn't want to like a oh, okay. probably talk bad about that people. So Rampe was dead for 18 years by that point already. So if it was him, he probably didn't want to shit on his grave. Yeah, to be honest, it does sound like he was getting away with a bunch of shit. You know? That's the thing. That's the thing. That's always this middle ground of like they were getting away with a lot of shit, but yeah. never really seemed to be any having any consequences. Well, that's that's, that's, that's it, what it means. But like never having been like uh, uh, bowing to the system to a degree that was like visual to well, others that's or thing. like that's the only explanation. And I mean, look, it's speculation. Obviously, I don't know, but it does sound Stasi-ish. Like he's yeah, having yeah. like backdoor meetings with some guys and. And no, and this guy controlled the dissidents, yeah. like the, the opposition. So yeah, basically, like, yeah. people maybe like societally were going somewhere far. So yeah. they introduced that before it went to the to the peak. Yeah. Uh, you just introduce some liberties, so people. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a perfect uh, yeah it's a perfect solution. You start sports. You sponsor your own punk band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's definitely something in Jordan that we would do. Yeah, I know. I mean, we have like uh, like people doing like. Uh, uh, there's this British guy doing like a s official uh, environmental podcast uh, for this like uh, initiative, uh, global initiative. What's, I forget what's it called, but whatever. It's like uh, this pledge that is signed by literally every corporation, you know. So you know it's a good podcast. And anyway, but this guy who does this environmental podcast, he's like a Tory environmentalist. He's like a conservative environmentalist. Conservative, not like let's save the animals. Conservative in a sense like let's not gay let gay people do shit or whatever you know oh, really? so it's, but in his case he's like a british person but he's like american libertarian you know so he's like yeah we should stop the uh, climate change but you just through the market forces only through that. yeah yeah also that's a new liberal idea yeah get the market deal well anyway so yeah i think these techniques are still uh, alive and well today you can you can make your own protest against yourself basically so um Another person that I mentioned a lot already, but I think I feel, I feel obliged to now talk about is his biography a little, is, is Christian Lorenz, the keyboarder, who was the youngest member of the band. He was 16 in 1983 when, they when he joined the band. He and his good friend Paul Anders, who was 18, he's now there, now keyboarder and guitarist of Rammstein, as I mentioned. Um, by 1983, if I'm not mistaken, I think Rompe was already 36. Yeah, gross. So, so yeah, this is this is also a bit of a weird feeling I sometimes get when I see them. I I'm not I'm not saying that was something <laughs> problematic. No, but that's I, not even even if it's not sexual. Honestly, it being sexual maybe would make it better, but this just seems like he wants to hang out with a 16 year old. Exactly. I think I think Rompe at some point was he was living this like 
life off the grid, this alternative life for the GDR so long that he was not able to go back at some point, even when he was older, to say, like, now I'm living like the States, this, like, along the lines life, you know what I mean? So he was kind of, like Lorenz says, he, he had an alcohol problem too. Obviously, there was excessive drinking, but Rompe was in a bit of, in a bit, in a, in a, in a caught position there, I think. So he, when he formed the band with a 16 and an 18 year old to, to, to tour the country and, like, drink and, 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 and fuck and, and play music on beaches, it was like he had this as a life decision already by the point which kind of also i will i will before talk about lorenz's life now christian lorenz's life and then we'll come back to the end of rompe's life where you can also see that he was just kind of not not necessarily a dissident but like a, a how do you say like an extravagant like a like a not necessarily flamboyant but like just a Bigger than life character, than life character who also had like a contrarian, uh, uh, a bit like a tendency in him. You know, he 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 was against capitalism as much as he was against the the the, the existing kind of social order in mm -hmm. in the GDR. Also, not so much against the economic system. I think. So Christian Lorenz um, will be a bit shorter on him. Um, but he's important because, uh, uh, unlike Rompe, he is still alive and also a member of Rammstein. So you actually can see him on stage today if you want. And he, as a person, conserved this super crazy fun punk attitude of uh, um, feeling B more than other members that now are members of Rammstein, I think. Because we'll also come to parts of his, I mean, like some of the listeners, I don't know, even one of you might have seen a Rammstein concert. I haven't personally, but you hear crazy things about it, you know. Yeah, I've seen videos of it. I've never actually been there. So this guy, uh, Christian Lorenz, being uh, 16 in the year 1983, um, he comes from Prenzlau Berg. Also, his family is like uh, kind of a regular old East Berlin uh, family. Like his father was an engineer. His mother was a journalist. And they were not party members as far as I, I understood. But they were also not like dissidents or people that like lived off the grid in any way. Funny enough, that just like gives like a little like a little overview of of uh, um, Christian Lorenz's uh, Flake Lorenz's uh, uh, biography is his moniker also apart from Flake is his moniker is Doctor Lorenz, which is like some people say or he said it in his biography himself. I, I listened to his biography in, as an audiobook. He says like because he wanted to become a surgeon at some point, but later on he clarified it's actually this. I had once given the name much earlier by mistake when we were supposed to enter a name for our GEMA membership. GEMA is like the, the, the company that actually procures all the, 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 the money that, that uh, musicians will uh, earn from plays yeah, like in like Germany. Like Exactly. It's a bit of a complicated system, but just let it, let it, let it be. Um, I thought you have to do something original. Since then, it says Dr. Lorenz or something like that on all the records. I should have taken my name. Now everyone wants to know why I call myself doctor. It's really true that I wanted to be a surgeon when I was a kid, but I also wanted to be a fireman, a pilot, an inventor, or a musician. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so he actually says he wanted to be a musician, not even saying that he is a musician now. And now because I just think he sees himself as, as something of like a professional amateur and still up to this point also but i think uh, he inspired dr dre that's why <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure that's that's why and so yeah this guy um um he was probably ironically um, next to paul lenders who was his best friend and they, they were the additional members uh from romper of course for feeling b um he was one of the more uh, musical guys and um 
he really made up the music. Although people say that Landos, the, the other guy, the guitarist, now guitarist of Rammstein, was the actual mm, uh, musical figurehead. Um, just to... to, to uh, what do you mean, the actual music? Figurehead, yeah, like that he was like uh, coming up with the melodies, even sometimes coming up with the rhythms, I think. Okay, and the composer. The composer. He was he, like Landos... Landos in a, to, to, in a varying degree together with Lorenz, even at the point of, like, when they were members of Feeling B, where um, actually, yeah, the musical section, whereas Rompe came up with the lyrics, I think, but, like, off time. <laughs> <laughs> Presented it off time. Um, so, yeah, um, just to give you an idea who, who Lorenz as a person is also, uh, some, some uh, uh, explanations or, or, or uh, um, depictions of... Um, what happened when they were in the States, the Rammstein after they formed, which I'll come later to, um, had a famous 90s America tour after they, they formed in, the, in 1993 and then like pretty, on, pretty soon on went to, to America, which also spawned their success there, I think. And that's what happens uh, with Lorenz on the stage. Since the, world, uh, since the world tour for the album Reise Reise, um, he stayed in an oversized cooking pot that had been one uh, that had been one of the uh, uh, show's parts for the song Mindtile, which deals with the deed of the so-called cannibal of Rothenburg. Lorenz takes a seat in a special welded container during live performance, performance, which is heated by singer Lindemann with a flamethrower in the course of the song. Uh, in the course of the song, so yeah, th this like also this crazy, uh, uh, these crazy performances on stage. They also go back to feeling B. So it started there. Yeah. It started there. Um, in another song, Lindemann simulates anal intercourse with Lorenz using a dildo and squirts milk around in front of Lorenz, who is crouched down. According to Lorenz, he and the bandmate spent about five hours in jail because they've been <laughs> arrested <laughs> of do after doing this by the American police, of course. Um, this is the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> in America. Yeah. So, yeah. It's in Germany. Like these, yeah, yeah, Eastern Germany, they've been doing it for hundreds of years. <laughs> it goes on, actually. They subsequently had to stand trial and received a six-month suspended prison sentence and a fine. And I read that the fine was actually about $100 or so. It's so crazy. Well, I mean, like, folks, that's how much it costs um, to fake gay sex on stage in America. <laughs> exactly. It's not a bad price. However, this experience did not stop them from repeating this performance as a part of their Made in Germany tour starting in early November 2011 again. So they, they couldn't stop. But I think that's a, it's a great aspect. Yeah, it's a um, great, great gimmick, too. <laughs> Squirting milk out of fake people. So, so Lorenz is also important um, in, in the story of uh, Alyosha Rompe feeling B and how they spawned Rammstein because in 1993 when they basically had their uh, third album release tour um, after a concert in Berlin's Kulturbrauerei in Prenzlauer Berg. Yeah. Peberg, you guys got to um, Landers uh, announced that he will leave the band because in the background he already had met the the parts of the band of the former of the future band Rammstein that are from Mecklenburg Vorpommern and they already kind of came up I mean like there were several factors I guess Alyosha Rompe the original founder and the creative networker of Feeling B um, he became older he became crazier and he also had a had an alcoholic or an alcohol addiction. So I think this young guy who was actually very talented after the the wall came down, after the unification, he realized that he'd probably be better off if he looked for a new uh, creative 
alliances rather than sticking with this kind of failing trio. And uh, so then surviving off of government subsidies. <laughs> I mean, like that was like probably <laughs> exactly that after the war was probably their biggest problem that they were not commercially so successful to kind of survive in a in a capitalist environment. That would be so cool if one of the terms of reunification, like in small shrift at the bottom of the contract, it was also you have to keep paying for the shitty punk band that we have. <laughs> 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 that would actually be, be pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Landers um, announced that he he um, he will leave the band, and uh, although Lorenz, who was uh, pretty um, happy still at this point, but this like as I said, he was like just the weirdest of the guys, and pro probably even the most punk, I guess. Lorenz is the youngest one, no? He's the he's the youngest, yeah. He he, but uh, Landers is only two years older. Mm -hmm. um, Uh, he he was then convinced by Landers to also leave the band, although he was reluctant in the first place. And um, then they joined with uh, T uh, Richard Kruspe and Till Lindemann, who were the guys from Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. They joined, and the former Chris, uh, Christoph Schneider, the former also drummer of Feeling B, who was not their drummer in the 90s anymore. They all joined together and formed the well-known band Rammstein that we know now. Basically everyone except for the main. Basically, band. <laughs> basically everyone except for the the real founder of the band, sadly, who he was maybe just too weird. Yeah, he is a bit like the Sid Barrett of Rammstein. He's actually just was a bit too weird for even this weird bunch. And this guy's weird. what they he, so so coming back. Yeah, sorry, please. I want to ask like, about the name Rammstein. Yeah, from, uh, like I know it's a. Uh, the city where the biggest uh, American base exactly. is in, in Germany, but that's why that's, called it. There, there's, there's more behind it. So, yeah. as, as, as I said, uh, I, th I think it was Lorenz and Landers who probably long before the band was formed came up with the idea of naming a band Rammstein. Yeah, yeah in, the, in, the, in, in, the in the military truck, exactly. And um, the idea behind this is, is several things. Um, a, As you say, as you said, Rammstein is the biggest American, mostly Air Force base outside the U.S. Probably even at all. I don't know, but definitely outside the U.S. That's where they send the drones to Afghanistan sometimes. That's where they send the drones and everything. Like, salute them from it's, Berlin it's, it's actually a, a huge hub and it is a bit of a still from that's my political, personal political opinion is like it's it's a, it's a big Well, I, I would say moral burden on Germany to this day because, like, this is like really the the last r real main residue of after uh, post World War World War Two American occupation. It's like it's like a patch that the Americans will probably never give away anymore, like Guantanamo or something, because it's just too important for them. And uh, however Germans in the future will manage to to make American soldiers leave this will be the last fucking spot where they will be because it's just so important to their international or like global uh, military infrastructure. Yeah. I get your point, but did you know that they have a Taco Bell there? I'm sure they have a Taco Bell. Did you Bell. think I'm, of that? I'm sure, I'm sure they have like a Piggly Wiggly there this or, two or something. The this is the last Taco Bell in Germany. If American, if poor American army leaves, what are you guys going to do? There's yeah, no there's Taco Bell. There's a lot Bell. of Taco Bells in, uh, in Barcelona. And oh, they yeah. And it was shit. All right. It's really not good. Well, there you go. Europeans don't like Taco Bell. To answer your question, this is just like a coincidence, a coincidence I think. In 1992, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't particularly looked this up, but uh, thanks for the question anyway. In 1992, I think it was there was a big 
airplane disaster there at Rammstein because they not only had like a big base there, they also used it as a showcase or propaganda stage basically for um, the German populace. And so once a year, I think for a couple of years before 1992, and I think even after that, I don't know if it still exists, there was something like called the Rammstein Air Show, where the international teams, and I think it was actually an Italian team that caused the disaster. Sorry, Italy. Um, but uh, so there were there was a field with the thousands and thousands of people crowded next to the to the to the landing and starting strip, basically, and from there, like uh, jet planes, squadrons, like. Italian, American, international, you know, showed off what they can do. Like they were did artistic flying and shit. And, and as it is always the risk with such things, like I think one of the Italian squadron hit the other Italian uh, pilot's plane with its, his wing and like they crashed in air and like rained fiery pieces of metal onto the people. And like it, it was like uh, up to 100 people or more that, that died that day. It's so bad. It's, like you even die not even <laughs> yeah, it's, it was pr pretty unnecessary actually, but it was a it was a big accident, a big disaster. A lot of people died after that. The 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 uh, security measures were increased, but I'm not sure if it still exists. Look it up, people, if you're Mom, interested me, yeah. in something like this. Um, so yeah, um, this was a big kind of topic at the time when they came up with the name. And it has this like mean connotation of a disaster and flames and people dying, of course, which is also part of, of Rammstein's, I mean, apart from the people dying, of course, uh, part of Rammstein's stage shows today. And uh, also just the name of it. I think in a way, I, I, I don't know who was it exactly, but doing research, I read a text that said, um, in a way, provocation was always the main thing, like, you can we can discuss it, seeing like how Feeling Bay was actually in a way state funded, um, but like they from their own self perception, provocation was always important. And so in the nineties also there was this resurgence of nationalism after reunification. And so everything that was like if you weren't like an outright Nazi and throwing Molotov cocktails at at, at houses where Vietnamese people lived, that's just a side note. Um, you were usually a bit skeptic of where reunified Germany would actually go, especially if you were something of a leftist. And so everything that was like super German, like bands called Rammstein, no, no other band usually would dare call themselves Rammstein, who were not real Nazis at the time, were looked, frowned upon a little because it was just like emphasizing the super German is too much. Literally the name Rammstein, for example, the place the, the, where the air show takes place or the basis is called Rammstein actually with one M. It's R-A-M Stein. But the band is called Rammstein with a double M. And Ram, Rammen means ramming, actually. It means just ramming. So it's literally ramming stone. It's like if you, I don't know, if you take a, like, a, like a pointed stone and ram it into somebody's face, that would technically be a Rammstein. It's not a thing that really exists. I, 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 stone punch. Like, the, the, like what really is meant by it is those, you know, like in old times, if you have a cave, you have like this big rock mm. and you close the cave. With, like, it's almost like cylinder. Oh, cylinder. like the Jesus type of thing. Like a disc. Yeah, and that's maybe what. Okay. Like you close, like you close the whole. Thing would would work as a name. Would work as a name. It's it's nothing that a German nowadays would immediately understand. It's just literally they just took it for the connotation of this uh, uh, this airplane disaster and the Germanness sound of it. So yeah, when when in 1993, 1994, um, Lorenz and and Landers left the band. Rompe was kind of 
still there. He he wanted to continue do music, but he definitely did not want to have commercial success. That was also probably a, a, a dividing issue here. And he um, decided to to keep it underground. You could say he still lived now in real squats in East Berlin. Like some of our listeners and you might know that, like uh, East, East Berlin, there was definitely a lot of squatting because yeah. like uh, proprietary uh, issues were not solvable at for some time, and so people just squatted houses. And Rompe continued living there, being being in his in his his late mid to late forties there already, and. Um, so yeah, um, he he had some bands. Uh, one of them was Alyosha Rompe and the Santa Clan, for example. <laughs> Weird name. I think it's like <laughs> Santa Clan. I don't know. It's a play on words on Santa Claus, I guess. Santa Claus, I think. And uh, but he kind of vanished into obscurity. For you could really say like he was not commercially successful. The the talented musician that he made music with before left off to form one of the most successful German bands of all time, and. His mental and health state also deteriorated to the point that where he opened up to esotericism. <laughs> Obviously, again another topic that usually comes up in our in our episodes. As he went uh, down the rabbit hole of esotericism to the point where he, um, I don't know how familiar you are with the theories of Wilhelm Reich. He's like one of these psychologists in the following of Freud that kind of are half taken seriously and then taken half complete nutcases because they came he uh, Wilhelm Reich came up with an energy called organ which like kind I, of oh it, shit I, I know that and and uh, it, you can sit in a it, box and charge yourself up with like special energy and that basically heals everything in you oh man that's and, and and Rompe actually went down this rabbit hole to the point there he had somebody build such a box for him where he would sit in half the day or something that's like a German and that's as German as it gets actually that's more German than the name Rammstein yeah, is yeah. believing in that actually I've never met anybody outside of Germany who it's, followed it's, this it's, it's, I think Wilhelm Reich is actually a Jewish Austrian but like it's, it's as German as it gets in psycho, psycho, psychoanalysis <laughs> um <laughs> But but yeah so 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 actually also after a while Rompe had to move move out of his uh, flat or his squatted flat basically because pro probably at this time then the proprietary issues were solved and like they when found out you you back. can live there fuck off and uh, yeah he spent last years of his life probably with his organ accumulator that's how the box is called <laughs> next 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 yeah. next to really next to really a, a caravan standing on Schönhauser Allee where he in the night I think it was of 23rd December that's very poetic wow. um, died of either heart attack or stroke aged 50 oh not enough argon. oh no sorry it was 53 53 but like not not very not very old and yeah I mean we could continue with Rammstein and that would be a whole fucking other episode but I think we we close the door here on this uh prologue chapter to Rammstein and the final chapter to GDR punk music dude I love this this guy's yeah. like second time you bring it into heat with like German weirdos uh, this guy's my hero <laughs> <laughs> look, look up pictures of him especially from the mid to, to late 80s he always wore um, leather pants <laughs> a black muscle shirt with sometimes a leather jacket on it and, and like he had like he had the absolute, I mean, I'm not saying anything in this direction, I'm just saying he had the absolute pedophile hairstyle, yeah. which means like he had no top hair, but had it long in the back, <laughs> then a ponytail. Ah, yeah, those ones, ooh. But it wasn't, I mean, that's not his, till this day, basically, the club, uh, like, if 
you want to go to and they could through the bouncers in Berlin. In Berlin, yeah. You have to work if you that. want them to let you, the more leather is it, it is the or kinky it looks. The more you look like a pedophile. <laughs> the better your chances are. So yeah, any any thoughts on uh, apart from I'm Googling what you already yeah like give me give me we can give him glory holds for his look. Rampa, wait. R R O M P E. R O M P E. Honestly, I think this guy has been like he's crazy. I'm not saying uh, you should guys go uh, follow his steps. And the thing is, you can't but do it anymore. There is no country that will allow you to do that anyway, anymore. Yeah, that's one. Uh, but I mean, like, he stayed true to himself. Like, mm -hmm. he stopped evolving maybe when he was 18 and it's in this punk mentality and he stayed there. Which is, I mean, you can't. I know old people who are still in the scene, but they really have their life. They're functional punks. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, maybe, like, I respect that at least, that he followed through and he didn't, like, give up. Which is, yeah, that's good. Other than this, he's an outcase. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, it's tough. It's also like the this like aging hipster. It's uh, it's always tough to It's repulsive. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, like and uh, it is tough because the only ways for you to like have a dignified life like that is to actually like gain this commercial success, you know, where at least like we we'll look at you and we're like, "Okay, you're making millions of dollars now. You get to be just complete degenerate." Just like <laughs> we get to we we basically pay you for looking at how weird you are. Yeah. you know but yeah once you especially once you leave this like safety of a country who provided for you to be this weirdo like what is this guy gonna do there's nothing he just can become homeless and just die yeah actually he probably uh yeah, yeah. from a state like yeah. like yeah from a socialist system to like a system for him yeah he's, he's like uh, not gonna support it but the yeah the state-sponsored uh Punk rock. That's funny. I mean, that's so funny. That's such the a Eastern communist. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, I, I, I have a question for you, Ilya, here, uh, because we, I think we did that in 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 the Dugan episode. We talked about ah, yeah, Igor Letov. Yeah, he was. And and how how much is like Igor Letov comparable comparable to to comparable? I'm sorry to to uh, um, to Alyosha Rompe and in the degree of like. Uh, how much how underground were they in comparison how much like uh, commercially successful like uh, you you know what i mean well uh it all they both kind of happened because this is all 80s right uh, it's like basically the core frame is 1980 1985 to 1995 yeah, so it's all like uh perestroika you know hard exactly and uh a lot of bands a lot of like stuff like becomes legal basically not that it, like yeah bands start there is a little bit more freedom in the air you know so people like letov people like the band kino like all these bands started popping up um in russia i feel like because he was actually letov was anti-communist protest i don't know how much it was like anti-ideologically communist but definitely anti the communism that the soviet union because another thing is, yeah, the lifestyle in the uh, East Germany is was much nicer than the lifestyle people had, like in the normie. Uh, Even in Cuba, it was much nicer. Yeah, yeah, like there was like, and it's bullshit complaint, but there was a. Uh, uh, like even growing up, I remember people talking about how they were pissed, how like how much more money was sent into these periphery states, and how like basically nothing was done in the in the in the center of the empire, you know. 
and it's uh, to a certain extent it was true because you needed to like keep these people loyal basically you know to yeah. not rebel too too much even though as we know it didn't work they still rebelled um uh, but i think yeah he he kept his uh, he was uh, he could adapt to the post soviet letov i mean mm. he could definitely adapt to the post soviet uh, times he yeah he he was to, he's to this day like this iconic figure mm. and rompa sadly well maybe we'll make him iconic i don't know I, I, I think he deserves to be iconic to be honest with you the guy really he's, he's almost completely unknown in yeah, west he's germany like, I, it took me like 10 minutes to google him mm-hmm. that's how that's how underground that guy he still he stayed underground even after his death True, true to himself. He stayed underground after his death. Yeah. <laughs> In all senses. Of his and, and yeah, actually, to 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 add a little piece of information, he was buried. That's kind of the romantic end to it. Maybe he was buried on Hidden Sea on this on this island on his fa- the Baltic on the Baltic oh, Sea. Yeah. Dude, that's sweet. That's a nice one. That's yeah, yeah. a nice one. He deserves that. Like I mean, he wanted that life. Yeah. Very yeah. Man, shouts out to the legend. This guy really like inspired me right now. Yeah, it's cool. It's kind of it's kind of sad we can't have. But I mean, you can see a lot of Berliners like, like you in the mental, like in the idea that people refusing to grow up mm-hmm. and they're like in their mid mid fifties now. But yeah. They live. I think yeah, he he lived a very Berlin life even, uh, even by today's standards. Yeah, but yeah. today it's hard to become famous for it. A bunch of Peter Pan. It's like, it's children. It's children. It's just children here. That's why it's bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Neverland over here. Yeah. What else? We can give him glory holes. Oh, gl- gl- oh, yeah. I would love to give him some glory holes. Especially this guy's like. Honestly, this guy. We should like find his music because I feel like this is gonna be some free to use shit. <laughs> it sounds like very like common uh, Creative Commons type of. Content. I mean, there's a, as a as a as a as a shout out and a point uh, uh, hint for our for our listeners. Um, there's a movie you can, if you live in Germany at least, I'm sure you can watch it for free. It's called Flüstern und Schreien, or Whisper and Scream. It's uh, one of the last, uh, yeah, could we say, feature films of, of the GDR. It's a documentary and it's made uh, in 1988. And also part of the fame of Feeling B comes from, at least to the people that didn't know them by that time um, in East Germany, comes from participating in it. And it's, it's kind of a panorama of... GDA, a GDR start uh, stage uh, funded and 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 run media enterprise that is this movie and it's a panorama a panopticum of um, all the bands and different um, varieties of music that are made in 1988 uh, GDR and Feeling B is they're kind of at the end of the spectrum of craziness of the, the weird underground people <laughs> but they're still featured and still included yeah nice. and and you can you can watch it on uh, the the website uh, BPB uh, so B, BPB I mean sorry um, dot de I guess uh, you can find it there, uh, Flüstern und Schreien, Whisper and Scream, and it's probably as there's no uh, unresolved, uh, uh, unresolved legal issues there. Um, it can be watched for free in HD, so watch it. Feeling Bay is part of it. You can see the truck, you can see them driving around. And you will also see, that's very interesting about it, the other kinds of bands that they were kind of standing up to against. <laughs> because <laughs> they, they, are by, they are by far the coolest band in the <laughs> yeah. movie, obviously. <laughs> All the people doing shitty fucking communist music. Yeah. <laughs> Despite how much I love communism, the music produced under the regime that was like sponsored by the regime, garbage. Just stinks. Unless it's like maybe war songs. The, uh, at the time. The war of the songs war. has nice things. Yeah, the war songs yeah. kind of like at least have like some heart to them. The rest of them is like 
Wow. I was, it was great working in the field today. Saw some girl. I love my factory. Gonna marry her. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking both, mostly about uh, uh, the Russian uh, Yeah, at least scene, my, 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 yeah. how I saw Yes, I think like the, 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 the looking back at the GDR music scene is very, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very diverse today. Like there's some bands that were just considered kind of, State, uh, state-funded, boring music, but there's also uh, um, some bands that are actually still state-funded because, as I said, even Feeling Bay is state-funded or was state-funded that are still looked well upon today by East Germans and are well-liked and uh, considered to be kind of their music, our music, you know what I mean? I saw this, I forget, that there was this movie came out a couple of years ago about this like singer-songwriter guy. Oh yeah, exactly, Gundaman. Yeah, know. exactly. Hmm. Yeah, so do, do, that guy seem to have like still success after the. Gundaman is actually um, to cons considered by a lot of East Germans more as uh, um, conformist in a way because like as, Stasi, no? as, as much as much <laughs> as he was like a folk musician for him it was important for Gundaman to to play music close to the people. Mm -hmm. His subjects were always communist and yeah. basically around communist work and whatnot. So yeah. so he he but. He, in comparison to feeling big Gundaman was more seen like as a boring square guy and, and, and they were like crazy punks you know big time and um, a question about Rammstein mm -hmm. the, the name because you mentioned that it's like a part of it that sounds very nationalistic German uh, so I just had the question how they are because I don't know they don't talk about, a lot about their politics mm -hmm. I guess they're more on the left they some songs and everything but they they are they are a left band i mean like as much as much as, as much as it was it means like they're they're not they're not political and they, they never were really political neither in their texts or lyrics nor in their inf interviews or anything they put out but um I mean, like they're left liberal at least you know like yeah, yeah. They, part of the band has like a has like a anarchist punk origin and the others at least were not like uh, deliberate Nazis or communists or whatever but I mean like to, we have to be honest about it to, at this point all of them are millionaires yeah they're libs all of, the, yeah. all of them are rich people um, but um, there has never been any real hint or sign of them being anything other politically than left yeah, like if, if I don't know, left for sure the left roots, but they're definitely like in a way uh, anti-fascist for sure. But I don't know if they're you know left. Yeah. yeah. You know? But anti-fascist for sure. But they they play with like I mean like there's a, a couple of years ago the uh, kind of successful I don't know they're all like all of all of the releases are somewhat successful I mm -hmm. think because they just have such a huge fan base. But uh, there was this song called Deutschland. I oh, don't know like if you've seen it. Yeah, and like it's like it's very it's very on the nose with like a lot yeah. of like German stereotypes, and they play with them a lot. Yeah. They 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 yeah. still they still make money and fame out of playing with it. Although you can't play with it indefinitely because it gets stale after a while, of course. So they now it's now really just their stück, their spiel, their their scheme you know what i mean yeah. um but in the early 90s or from i don't know they're forming in 1994 to let's say the year 2000 that was like more of a unique selling point they had and yeah. like they they i think because like recently we were like the whole world's like oh shit nazis are everywhere but exactly for a, while, for a while we thought like oh no it was just in germany they're like those guys they're the only ones who like came to the pinnacle 
of uh, uh, how reactionary you can get. And now last like 10, 20 years, you're like, oh shit, it's in every, mm. they're everywhere in every country. Shit, half the countries are controlled by them. Actually, it took to yeah. Germany much longer to form its real new neo-Nazi party with true ambitions yeah. longer than other European countries. I mean, yeah, like the sense. Front National and all of them have been much longer, much longer around than the AfD. Yeah. They didn't have the excuse, you know. But also, on the other hand, you could say, Rammstein stayed true to their to their thing with uh, still playing on the whole German Nazi thing, fascist aesthetics. Uh, or actually, you could say, like, on the other hand, you could actually say, like, is it still that appropriate with so many real Nazis around today? Is it like, can you just even, like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I, I get your point. It's one thing to do it. Uh, I like understand you're, it. You're, you're making fun, not making fun, like, it's a paradox. It's a parody of something that exactly, exactly. But if you what you yeah, yeah. I I'm still on uh, I'm still on their side. I'm still I still think shit's funny. I still think shit's funny. Oh yeah, I mean it's intriguing. I don't think it's even funny that much. It's uh, like it's controversial. And that, that yeah. That's a that's a problem that it becomes like less like he said less and less controversial because you know the shtick now like yeah, yeah. over identification with just Nazism. It is funny for a while. And then eventually, I mean, to me, it's still funny. But eventually, it will it will become just stale. Yeah, just not as not as interesting. But to just to just make sure, like as I said, even in like this this uh, uh, video clip for the song Deutschland, which like of course plays with uh, Deutschland, Deutschland über allem mm -hmm. they say, which is grammatically slightly different mm -hmm. to Deutschland, Deutschland über alles, but it's obviously playing with it. Mm -hmm. um, there's always like they have seen where like there's scenes in the video clip taking place in a, in a mock-up concentration camp but to the point where they are always like the the inmates of the concentration camp they never wear the ss uniforms and shoot people they are the inmates being shot you know what i mean yeah. like if you if you look at it yeah. closely it's like they, they're they're they, 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 they don't want to have pictures of them in ss <laughs> uniforms uniform. basically you know? <laughs> that's not how far they would go and that's like that's this fine line where you can actually see that they're not completely yeah. identifying with it they're just playing with this german identity and to a degree i, I liked what i really much more like about rammstein than their music is their insistence on discussing the germanness topic yeah, you know yeah for sure because that like uh it, it seemed sometimes at least like from the outside even before i moved here that germany kind of was one of those countries that at least on the like the official level that it would project to the rest of the world completely like negated any germanness like mm -hmm. this thing didn't yeah, yeah. exist instead of like yeah engaging with them being like because yeah the longer you negate it the, the stronger it's going to explode eventually like there was this video of angela merkel someone gave her the german flag to wave after the her election and she was like, no, no. <laughs> and that was that was for me the main moment. I was like, just take it. I mean, like, <laughs> you you actually run this country, you yeah, know? It's everywhere. Like, <laughs> or like, if you don't like it, change it. I don't know. But you can't be like, like what is this? You won the election. These yeah. people liked you. you know? yeah. Very weird. Yeah. <laughs> pick it, pick it up. You know, be like, have fun with it. You know, what the yeah. fuck? Relax. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that's that's the the image that was kind of. Uh, Going out I think Germany. that's why they're internationally successful because people they saw this it. real Germanness. Yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, this like like screaming brutality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. To to a degree, you can say they ever were more German than Germany, really. Yeah, of course. They, the, <laughs> yeah, 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 Germany was not German enough for them. Yeah. That's the thing. No. Yeah, shouts out to them. Okay. Again, industrial sound, you know, cars, uh, 
industrial tanks. <laughs> tanks you know? Please send us free tickets. Send us free tickets. Mm-hmm. Expensive. Yeah. yeah. I, will, I, I will come to one of your shows if you give me a ticket for yeah. free. <laughs> I'd love to get like some press passes behind the scenes. You know, yeah, we should the guy. have press passes. Like, we did a podcast. We did this. <laughs> it had 53 listens. Yeah. Ring a bell. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just like, like as, a, as a last note, I personally think like Till Lindemann, who we haven't discussed for a reason today, because he's the most, most like popular and like a uh, frontman persona. He's a bit nuts, I think, personally. He's like not not nuts in the in the good sense necessarily. Just like he's a rich person with enough money to cater all his weird fetishes and kinks, and then have even the popularity to brag about it later on oh, on really? in interviews. I mean, like that's not like he does not do it all the time, but like frequently it comes up here and there. And the media is very interested in who he's with at the moment and how how they have sex and ah, shit like this, you know. But uh, we've seen his. Is it like we've seen his penis or we haven't seen his penis? I'm not sure. I I, I don't I, I don't remember, but I would not be surprised if uh, if uh, eager Googlers out there will find pictures Googlers, of his penis. Get on it. Send us pictures of of Lindemann's penis. <laughs> okay, then I thank you for accompanying me down memory lane. Thank you. And how many glory holes? How many glory holes? Yeah, exactly. Guy, okay, we have to give glory holes to uh, Rompe. Rompe, yeah. Lawrence. Lawrence. And, and Rammstein. Let's yeah, say like, like, let's yeah. say we give it to Lindemann. Like like let's yeah. compare the three. So like how many how many glory holes would Rompe get from you? Rompa, let's think, because this guy... One to five is the scale. Yeah. Oh, five is best. Five is best. Yeah, we, we got we to gotta make this clear. <laughs> yeah, okay, so five is the best. One glory hole is like, that's it. You just, like, you didn't even come. You, you, it, you, you barely sticked it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, Suck, I think. <laughs> I mean, Rompa, I want to give him, like, five glory holes, but also because he's Swiss, like, a passport, so he doesn't even have to use them. He can go and have fun and... Uh, West Berlin clubs. So even he transcends the glory holes. He he can straight up have sex. Okay, that's what yeah. I would say. Mm. Then yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's the yeah, so he's the five. So he, he gets, gets to, he so gets he gets six. Over. He has to climb <laughs> over and like have all kinds of. He doesn't even have to. It, it's yeah. not a secret. He doesn't need a glory hole. Yeah, he doesn't need a glory <laughs> hole even. Um, then Lawrence, because he will forever be a sixteen-year-old, will never give him a glory hole. Because we're not that type of programming. <laughs> and uh, Lindemann, he gets uh, two glory holes. And he has to lay horizontally because there's another guy. So there's 69. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's out of protest. He's not gay. He's doing it to... He's know, just doing it for the shock value. For the shock value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not gay. <laughs> Wearing an SS uniform. Yes, he's dressed like a Nazi. <laughs> but he is on the eastern side of the wall. Yeah. Yes. Which which makes him even good. more transgressive. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, for me, uh, Romper clearly gets the five. I'm gonna stay in scale, and he gets the five uh, glory holds because yeah, he's just the most unique character. He did his thing, uh, as Ilya already pointed out, with the chance of basically saying fuck it all and going to Switzerland. This guy chose to stay. He yeah, chose yeah, to stay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Lorenz. But it's also, I think maybe he's smart enough to realize I would have died in any other situation. <laughs> no other system would support me. <laughs> also this, like, but this is also glory hole worthy, I yep. think. Big time. Big game. He's a, he's a hustler. Understand yourself or know thyself. And, know thyself. And you know, know God. Yeah. Um, and uh, Lorenz gets, I don't know, a solid three and a half 
glory holes, I would say, because like uh, he's uh, definitely an interesting character, talented musician, a weirdo. I mean, like uh, more awkward, socially awkward person than Rompe. But like, uh, I don't know, like for being so such a famous guy, he's a he's a very nerdy looking uh, weirdo, hypochondriac uh, yeah, guy. Yeah, he's true. Like, because uh, all those other like Lindemann, especially, he's like this huge fucking dude. And usually, like, uh, metal music I associated with, like, people in, into Warhammer and stuff, you know? Exactly. Like, like this guy yeah. probably embodies metal more. Yeah. Than and, like, Lorenz also, I think I did not mention this enough, maybe he was not, he was the most reluctant member to join Rammstein, and it took him the longest time to get, to vibe in with the others, whereas his friend Paul Landers from Feeling Bay, like, he was, like, basically a founder and, like, met everything go. But, like, Lorenz, it took him a while to... To, to to become the member of Rammstein he is today. And also, he's the one member of Rammstein that um, unambiguously says now to this point still he hates the US. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, because like when he, when he went there or when he goes there touring with Rammstein, he's always like, oh man, I'm shocked by this uncultured barbarians, <laughs> basically. Be, being a former Eastern punk. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, uh, still uh, very, very uh, decidedly lives in Berlin and is like a Berlin man, I think. So Shouts. three and a half glory holes. You can actually run into him in Prenzlauer Berg if you're him. lucky. Ask him and annoy him and tell him about our podcast and ask him if he ever did anything with the romper what was going on there when he was 16 year old if you want to ask him at, <laughs> at your discretion yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, tell him we sent you and Lindemann, yeah, he barely gets more than two glory holes. I think he's a bit pretentious guy. I'm not saying he's not. He's, he's by the way, the guy that write, writes all the lyrics that no none of their f uh, fans understands. It doesn't matter in, in the terms of glory, glory Yeah, well, also, like, he like he, he sings them in a way where it doesn't matter what the lyrics are. Yeah, ex I mean, like, he's probably one of the musicians in the world that, like, uh, gets the least reputation out of, like, people understanding his lyrics actually mm -hmm. they're just like how nazi they sound nice. um mostly they're sexual though and actually there's a there's a literary professor or something that did like a, or somebody who wrote a, the their master's thesis on rammstein's hence lindemann's lyrics and like they they had like a list of his favorite words and they're like blut mutter messer uh, something like this they're all like yeah, yeah. Like, shallowly shocking stereotypical German sounding yeah, words yeah but also like to down to children's rhymes so there's there's some artsiness to what he does I'm not taking this from him I'm just personally not the biggest fan and most of the time he's just like the, the guy standing in front looking German and angry and, and like I don't know spending a lot of money on cocaine hey, good enough for me man good enough for me I mean for me Rumpel, of course, is a poet. He's like dedicated. He's true to himself. Mm -hmm. uh, an authentic person. Like being an artist. Like, the most original man ever. Yeah, ever yeah. lived. And he's a hustler. He's yeah. He's true. And uh, Lawrence, I wanted to give him like three and a half. But after I knew about the America thing, uh, it's four and a half. <laughs> strong four. Yeah, strong yeah, four and a half. Strong four and a half. Yeah, you like one glory hole. Yeah, they made this uh, uh, video where it's like uh, Nazi Olympics or whatever. And then they're all saluting the American flag. Oh, I think actually, is that, is that the America song or something? Uh, uh, no, uh, wasn't it? They were doing the Depeche Mode cover for the... Ah. Uh, I forget the name of the song. But they were doing cover for Depeche Mode. And the song is like, I think, sexual in nature. But they made it like very... Like, Basically, all of their songs are sexual in uh, nature. But, but they made it like... Uh, they turned the sexual nature of the song into uh, this because they're all running around doing the olympics naked you know this and it's all in black and white and it's like white people with like 
mus- a little mm-hmm. bit of musculature. You mm-hmm. know? Also, by the way, when I saw it, I thought it was like, damn, dude. Uh, like in uh, in the thirties when they were doing the Olympics in Germany, they really had no idea. They were like, yeah, let's prove that the white race is the master race by doing sports <laughs> against African Americans, every other ethnicity. <laughs> Like almost every other ethnicity is much better than they are. <laughs> we are, sorry. We're still part of the. <laughs> um, yeah, Letterman, uh, uh, like two and a half. I don't want him to fail. Yeah, two and a half. Strong, strong mid yeah. musician. Rammstein on its own, I feel like I'd give it like a four. Yeah, Rammstein all together. It's yeah. Four. It's four for sure, and uh, he on his own. Like they're really, they're really dragging him up there as far as like art is concerned. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, well. Then, after having uh, set the the scales of science clear here, mm-hmm. um, well, thank you, and thank um, you. we'll uh, see you next week. See you next week or next with, month. or next month or next time at least. For the glory hole in the Berlin Wall with uh, some more crazy stories about the world. The world. <laughs>